0: I want to uh, go to First Kings chapter eighteen. It's so amazing to me how, I mean, God orchestrates the songs and and everything the way that He does. Because the worship team had no idea what I'm what I'm going to share on this morning, and I didn't have any idea what they were singing. So, I just love how He does that. We're going to go to uh, First Kings eighteen. And we're going to start in verse 17. So it says, When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? So they were really good friends. And he said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you followed the Baals. Now then send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, Together with four hundred and fifty prophets of Baal and four hundred prophets of the Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So, just a, a quick, because I think it's important, because it's going to kind of the theme here, is a quick recap of who Ahab. Okay, just kind of give you a little bit of a snippet of his character. First Kings sixteen thirty three says, Ahab also made the Asherah, thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. How would you like that said about you, right? 1 <laughs> Kings twenty-one twenty-five says, Surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. Wow. Have that written on your tombstone. So Ahab was a pretty, I mean, he was a pretty awful dude, and uh, he's the king of Israel, and he allowed his wife Jezebel to kill uh, all but a hundred prophets of God, and that's only because Obadiah went against what Ahab said, and he hid a hundred prophets in caves. So we got Elijah, he goes, takes great courage for Elijah to get up and 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 confront Ahab and say bring all the prophets of Baal and all the prophets of the Asherah and bring them here. We're going to have a little party. We're going to have a little fun. So Elijah brings he gets them all in in one spot and Elijah wants to he pokes at him a little bit. He says, "Why don't you go ahead and let's see whose god is greater?" Why don't you build an altar to your God and get a, get a, a, a burn offering? And let's see if your God shows up to burn up the offering. And then I'll do it and see if my God shows up. So he's, he sits there and just, I mean, he nags at these guys. He says, maybe your God's sleeping because they're building it. They're praying all day long, praying up to who knows what for this offering to be burned up, right? Nothing happens. So Elijah rebuilds the altar of God, which had been torn down, which I think that's kind of the theme of 2020. And to me, that's just my opinion, is that God is rebuilding his altar. I think that's what we're doing here. Rebuilding the altar of God, tearing down the idols. So our focus is on him. So Elijah rebuilds the altar. He gets all the wood, and he gets the the offering, and he puts it on the altar, and then he tells them to come and drench it with water, and they drench it with water, so it's absolutely soaked with water, and he prays, and fire comes down from heaven and burns up the stones, everything, and then he says, all of Israel finally, you know, they fall on their face, they worship God. And then he says, gather up all the prophets of Baal and Asherah and kill them. So he wipes out all the prophets of Baal and Asherah. And then he prophesies that the rain is coming before the cloud shows up. And then he tells Ahab, go. And then he gets this supernatural human strength from God that he could outrun Ahab. He's like the Flash. I don't, I've never seen that or, or even read any of the comic books. But he's like the Flash. He's crazy fast. All of this happens. I mean, this is, what a day, right? I mean, this all happened in a day. He calls down fire from heaven. He wipes out all the prophets of Baal. And then, even if you go to the, next, the, the previous couple chapters, he raises the widow's son from the dead, He prophesies the drought. God supernaturally feeds him with birds, takes care of him. I mean, you'd be on cloud nine, right? I mean, woo! I just called down fire from heaven. (laughs) I mean, do you watch those other guys? They're dancing around and playing around, and, and then I had them all killed. And I said, Israel's not going to worship Baal anymore. We're going to worship God. And then he ran with superhuman strength. I mean, come on. What a day, right? Like, you you would feel, I'd be like, I'm done. I'm just going to, I'm just, take me now, God, right? I mean, that's like the, the pinnacle of my life right there. But you'd feel Invincible. God showed up. I knew he would, but he showed up. The power fell and his glory was seen by all of Israel and they fell on their faces and worshipped him again. Come on. And then, so, listen, I mean, I think to me, what's next, right? I mean, Jezebel kills all the prophets. I, for me, I'd be like, I'm going after Jezebel now, right? Like, I mean, I just killed all the prophets of Baal and Shear, all her guys. Uh, now it's her turn, right? Like, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I can't even fathom all of this happening, right? But, but if it happened, I'd be like, it's a good day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going, right? Until the, I mean, we're going to keep pressing on. Watch what happens in, verse, in chapter 19. Now, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And then what happens? Verse 3, Elijah. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my fathers. Wow. He just called down fire from heaven. He just killed all the prophets of Baal. 850 guys. He just ran like nobody's ever ran before. And because Jezebel threatens him, he runs and hides. You ever had that happen in your life? You ever had this really incredible encounter with God and then the next day it seems like it never happened? I mean, this is Elijah. So then... He lays down under the tree and he looked. God, an angel touching him, said, rise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. So God never stopped supplying, even in his fear, even when he ran. God never stopped supplying. So Elijah rose and ate and drank and he went and found a cave and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? You ever lived in a cave You ever ran to get away from life for just a moment? You stopped all communication? You said, I'm just going to rest here in this cave where nobody can see me, nobody can find me. Nobody knows what's going on. I'm not going to call or tell anybody that I'm I'm scared. I'm just going to rest here in the cave and I'm going to pray that God kills me. Because I don't want to live anymore. I'm scared. People are mean to me. I mean, that's true. It sounds funny, but true. People are mean. Jezebel didn't even send anybody to threaten him. She just said, hey, she sent word. Who even knows where she's at? Right? I mean, and he's scared. He runs. God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left and they seek my life to take it away. I mean, he's throwing a pity party. You ever thrown a pity party for one? One? pity party for one is kind of fun, right? You know? Internally anyways. The world's against me. Everybody hates me. They don't see me. They don't see my potential. We even do it in our marriages. We do it in our friendships. We do it in our parenting relationships. My wife looked at me a funny way or she answered me in a funny way or she she's mad at me or we do it all the time. Um, Jay, my, my mentor, and uh, Jay Jellison, he, he says, you can't afford to have one thought in your mind that doesn't come from God. It's so true. Yeah. We can't afford to have one thought. One thought. So we'll skip down to, um, I don't know. Verse 15. The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you've arrived, you shall anoint Hazel over king over Aram, and Jehu the son of Nimshi, you, should, you shall anoint king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat, and Abel, I, you, know, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. <clears throat> so, the next, I want to flip over to Second Kings, um, verse or chapter nine. So, Elijah is supposed to anoint Jehu as king of Israel. And Jehu's not a real well-known king of Israel, but he did some pretty substantial stuff. And uh, we uh, we actually, when when I was a Raising up as a Christian and living in northern Michigan, we actually would call ourselves Jehus, as warriors. Because Jehu was a warrior. He was a captain in Israel's army. And he was a fierce, fierce warrior. And he's, his heart was after God. So we're in Second Kings chapter 9. I also want to say this, and I, I just, as I read this story, I wonder if Elijah wouldn't have ran, would he have done what Jehu did? Just think about that for a second, as I read what and tell you what Jehu did. So, Elisha, Elijah already went up to heaven, and Elisha had taken over. And Elisha comes and finds Jehu and anoints him king of Israel. So Jehu then says, all right, we're, we're done with what's going on. We're done with Baal and we're going to wipe him out. So Jehu goes and finds Joram, which is the king of Israel, current king of Israel, which is the son of Ahab. Remember what, who Ahab was. He goes and finds him, and he kills him. And then, that wasn't enough. Jehu goes and finds Ahaziah, the king of Judah, which is actually, he was a a brother-in-law in the lineage of Ahab, and he kills him. And then, he says, well, all right. Now we're going to go find Jezebel. And he goes and finds Jezebel in verse 33. And he said, throw her down. So they threw her down and some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses. And he trampled her underfoot. He has her own servants throw her out the window. (laughs) Throw her down. So he takes out Jezebel. I mean, he's on a streak now, right? He says, we're going to wipe out any remnant of Baal. In all of Israel. So he takes out. Joram. He takes out Ahaziah. He takes out Jezebel. And he says. Now we need to take out the rest. Of Ahab's family. So he finds them. And he takes out all of Ahab's family. He cuts off the bloodline. And then. He says now it's time to go find all the Baal worshipers. So. I love this. I love this story. I don't know why. I just love this story. In verse 18, it says, Then Jehu gathered all the people and said to him, Ahab served Baal a little. Jehu will serve him much. Now summon all the prophets of Baal, all his worshipers, all his priests. Let no one be missing, for I have a great sacrifice for Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jehu did it in cunning so that he might destroy the worshipers of Baal. So he calls all the worshipers of Baal and says, we're going we're to have a party. Let's." You think Ahab liked Baal? Watch. So he kills, <laughs> he wipes out all of the Baal worshipers. And it actually says he, in verse 20, 28... It says, thus, Jehu eradicated Baal out of Israel. He eradicated it. And he's doing pretty good, right? But then you drop down to verse 31, and it says, But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel sin. The sins of Jeroboam was idolatry. He didn't worship Baal, but he made other idols and worshipped them as gods. So you've got, you got Elijah, probably one of the greatest prophets to everyone. Walk the earth, has one of the greatest days that you could ever imagine. Sees God show up and he runs because he got threatened because someone didn't like him. And then you've got Jehu that wipes out all of the rest of the lineage of Ahab, wipes out all of Baal and Israel, and says, We're going to serve God. He started really well, but he didn't finish well. So somewhere along the line, he decided it was easier to give in. Yeah. Hmm So now I want to skip to Acts 16. And we're going to go to verse 22. Now Paul. Paul had just won the very first convert in Europe. So he just brought the gospel to an entire continent. Whew. And then right after that, he's walking down the road and there's this girl that's nagging him behind, yelling, and she's a, she's a fortune teller and she's got a demon in her and He gets so to the point of frustration that he turns around and he says, come out. And he casts the demon out of her. So he just won the first convert to a continent. And he just cast out a demon. And then what happens? Acts 16.22, the crowd rose up together against them. And the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. I'm just, I like to put things into perspective when I read the word. Okay, I like to kind of put myself in, in those types of positions to go, how, what would my response be? And I gotta say, I gotta be honest, I think my response would be just a little bit different. I'd be like, You got to be kidding me. (laughs) I mean, God, what'd we just do? And now I'm in prison. Why? Does this make any sense? So, verse 25, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. So I'd probably be already in there... Throwing a pity party for myself and going, I can't believe I'm in prison. All I did was obey God, and now I'm in prison. And so, Paul instead, Paul and Silas are sitting there praising God in the middle of a prison. And then the earthquake comes and their chains fall off. And again, man, if the chains fell off, I'd be out. I certainly wouldn't go. Wait, no, 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 no! Don't kill yourself. I'm like, I'm gonna let him do what he's gonna do, and then we're gonna to tiptoe out of here, right? I mean, who am I to get in the way, right? I mean, it's none of my business. I'm just being honest. Call me a bad Christian. I don't know. That's just I'm just being honest. That's that's what would go through my mind. And instead, Paul's like, No, don't do that. Don't kill yourself, we're here. We're not going anywhere. And then he wins the entire prison guard's family to Christ. So there's a difference between this story and the first two stories. Paul didn't throw a pity party for himself. And because he didn't, God showed up and he moved mightily. And Paul continued to preach the gospel, and, and he continued to suffer and continued to... I mean, it, it's just amazing. Paul fascinates me. The life of Paul just absolutely fascinates me. So probably the last... It's, well, it's been a few weeks, but I'd say for about three months, probably three months, Over the summer, two and a half, three months, I decided that I was going to throw a pity party for myself. And I was, I don't know, there was all sorts of stuff. God has, here's the thing, what God's done in my heart, my life, and what he's delivered me of, and what he's healed me of this year, is, is unfathomable to me. I still can't wrap my mind around it. Things that I've carried for 35 years, in an instant, he took it and healed me yeah. and delivered me of the pain. Right. Now there are things that that he hasn't healed me of. That he's promised me that but he hasn't. Yeah. Things that are still in my life that still nag me, that still irritate me. So I think I don't know, it was probably somewhere around towards the end of June. Well no it was in July. It was right after God had instantaneously delivered me of um, abuse that I that I in, that I had uh, incurred when I was a child, and He instantaneously healed me. And then it was probably I don't I think it's probably maybe a week and a half or two weeks after that, all of a sudden I don't even know what happened I don't know how it triggered I don't even all of a sudden I started focusing on all the bad and all the negative and all the things that God hasn't done. Or what people were saying or doing or past hurts, past things that have happened. I started to focus on all of that. And instead of rejoicing in what God had done, I focused on the things That he wasn't doing. The things that I know he promised me. That he was going to do. Now I'd, I'd like to say. Well I can blame this or that. But really it just comes down to me. I chose to focus on the things. That I shouldn't have focused on. I chose to allow the enemy's voice. To become louder than God's in my heart. I didn't go out and sin or. Return back to anything that I have been delivered of, but I missed what what God wanted to do in the moment because I was so focused on the things that He wasn't doing. We live, the world today is so easy. There are so many outside influences, so many things that say, whew, where's God? I mean, you get on Facebook and you see the funny memes of, you know, one of the latest ones that I kind of enjoy, with the, the if 2020 was a slide and it was a cheese grater and the kid was going... <clears throat> but it's, it's easy. It's, it's easy. I love those memes. I really do. It's easy to... This thing just will not stay where I want it to stay. It's easy to uh, to focus on all the negative, all the bad. It's easy to get on the bandwagon that everybody's on to go. Oh, I can't wait till this year's over. I had a pretty good year. I'm just saying. I mean, I didn't. I didn't make a lot of money. I didn't. I can't. I can't say that there's. That there's all of the but internally what God has done in me in this year, oh my gosh. So then I, I I have to wonder if I wouldn't have decided I was gonna play a pity party for myself and we were just gonna have fun internally and nobody else knew. Because well, we're not gonna tell anybody. Why would I do that? It's so funny. It's just and I, I remember sitting down on a call, Zoom call with, with Jay, and I said, Jay, buddy, I can't, I can't talk about anything else except for the fact that I've just been down in the dumps for the last three months, and I haven't said anything to anybody, and, and I, need, I need deliverance. And just like that, it was just, it was that easy. And Jay didn't thump me on the head, and I'm sitting here to Jay. I'm like, Jay, I know all this. I teach this stuff. I know, uh, I know that, well, the schemes of the enemy. I know what he does. I know all the things that he says and how he. But I don't know how this happened. But here I am, caught up in crap, and I can't get out of it. I was in the cave. For three months. And I didn't tell anybody that I was going through what I was going through. Or I was believing what I was believing. And it affected me greatly. It affected my relationships. It it affected a lot. So, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We are destroying speculations. And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Such a powerful verse, but so hard to put into action. I mean, if we're being real, which I think we are, at least I am. I don't know about the rest of you. If you're not, get real. It's it has to be violent. It says we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. I don't know how many thoughts a person has in their mind every day. I can't I, I know some people think about more things than others. For me, I have this nothing box where I can get in there and not think about anything for hours at end. Guys just have that ability. Women don't. But that's, I mean, they just don't. Our brains are wired differently. But with all the thoughts that we have and all the external influences that we have, that we listen to, that we see on social media, and the news, talking to people at my work, I mean, it oh, it can, get, it can get exhausting. And fear can creep in in an instant. And the thought that God's really far off is really easy to think. And the enemy would only desire for us to just believe one little thing. See, with Elijah, it was, it was, he used the fact that it was Jezebel. Well, Jezebel had already killed... Many prophets of God. So when she threatened him, it was pretty easy for him to get scared and think, well, if she killed all of them. She could get to me. So the enemy always uses those small things, the the, the reality. Of our situation. To get us to believe a lie. See, our situations are never bigger than what God has the ability to do. But the enemy would rather us believe that it is. And he uses things from our past, things that have happened to us, to bring that into truth in our mind, even though it's not truth. Right? Am I alone in this? I know I'm not alone. So don't you... And he does it every day. Every day. You can't... I've come to realize more and more and more that... No matter what you do, the deeper you go, the harder it gets. And I know that's uh, that's not like this great church message. That's not this. Let's we w- we want to go deeper, but whoo, it's gonna get harder. Come on, come with me. <laughs> it's not. It's it's not. But the fact is, is the enemy knows the potential that each and every one of us have because we're created in his image and that if we truly die to everything that we need to die to and we would be resurrected in Christ we'd have his mind we'd have his thoughts we'd have his heart we'd have his his longings his desires And the enemy knows that if that gets unleashed in our life, what kind of damage we're going to have the ability to do to his kingdom. He knows that. So that's why he whispers. That's why he whispers lies to deceive us into thinking that our situation is bigger than what God can do. Or into believing that the world is... It's just, it's going to hell in a handbasket and we can't do anything about it. We just need to, we just need to hunker down (laughs) and make sure that we have Jesus. I mean, who knows? I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I'm going to live for him today. I'm going to give him all I have in my heart. And I'm going to choose to believe what he has to say to me instead of what the enemy has to say to me. And God promises that he's never going to leave us. Even though it feels like he's not around sometimes. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Matthew twenty-eight twenty. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Always. Usually when he becomes distant, it's because we've moved, not him. I mean, truthfully. When he becomes distant, it's because we've moved, not him. Isn't it? I love that we sang Defender this morning because he's our defender. No matter what's going on, no matter how we feel, he's our defender. And he's always right there to help us find ourselves. Come on. He's always right there to help us find ourselves. Because. We lose ourselves. We lose sight of who he is sometimes. And we need we need help to realign where we need to be. So I want to let's see. I want to go back to First Kings. I want you to follow I want you to go with me. First Kings nineteen. 1 Kings 19, 12. Um, no, I'm sorry, 11. So Elijah's in the cave and he's hiding and he's, he didn't want to live. And verse 11 says So he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave, and behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? We're always waiting for the next big thing. I've had this year, I think more and more and more, God has really worked on me to stop waiting for something big. I mean, it, each, each, there, there was been really two hard places in my life that God has delivered me this year. And I never saw it coming. I never saw it coming. It wasn't in a revival. It wasn't because somebody prayed for me. I never saw it coming. Do you know why it happened? My wife gets, I don't think she gets irritated. She thinks she just gets tired of hearing this all sometimes. But because my answer to everything is Intimacy. The only thing that has changed in my life in the last two years is that I have been more intentional about my intimacy with the Father. It's become a priority in my life. And I can't go a day without it. My family will know if I go without it, (laughs) they do. he 's not in he's in the big things i mean paul's story an earthquake came and set him free he's in those things, but more often than not, God shows up in a whisper, and if we 're not intimate with him we're going to miss it every single time so it's I think it's easy sometimes when God shows up to think. We're going to go on to the next big thing. We're going to go on to the next big thing. We're going to go. And then we lose sight that we just need to rest. Yeah. We need to wait for him. Yeah. We lose sight that God is who he is. We can't get ahead of him. So he's, he's in the whisper. Isn't it incredible to me, that, that whole story of Elijah, God never stopped speaking. Elijah ran. He was fearful, but God never stopped speaking. And Elijah was able to hear him when he slowed down was intentional and allowed himself to hear him. I I do, I I really wonder, if, if Elijah would have continued and wouldn't have gotten afraid, would he have been the one to wipe out Jezebel? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. And the truth is, is that our thoughts will always make up who we are. Our thoughts will always make up who we are. It always responds directly to who our identity is, and it will always influence the way that we interact with others and the way that we see ourselves and the way that we see the rest of the world. Our thoughts, oh my gosh, are so powerful, even though sometimes they, they seem so insignificant. You know, a little just—I'll—I'll I'll clue you in. Every, in that, even when I preached on a weekly basis, when I pastored a church, every single time I would come up with a message. The night before, the enemy would always tell me the message was never good enough. Do you really think you heard from God? Do you really believe that God would use you to reach others? Look how flawed you are. Every time. It never fails. Every time. Last night, same thing. This morning, same thing. And there's always the tendency. There's always the temptation to say, you know what? You're right. I'm going to... Let me look through, find a different right. maybe I didn't maybe this maybe this makes no sense whatsoever even as i even as I got up, I'm like, God, hopefully this makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense in here sometimes, but not always when i right. and I, and I'm not one that writes I put verses on here, so these are just verses it's not even i don't. I'm not one that says it's always kind of like, we'll just see what God does. (laughs) We'll just see. It's really hard to preach a message twice. Not that that's a bad thing, but I'm getting off track. The main thing is, is I think this morning, God wants to redirect our focus on him and only him. We're going to elect a president in less than a month, three weeks, I think, whatever it is. And who knows what that's going to... I mean, but it doesn't... None of that depends. None of that weighs on who God is. Nothing that's happening in the world today weighs on who He is. He's the same always. And He promises that He will always be with us. Always. The focus is, is where are you? Are you with God or not? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, just, I just thought of a stupid movie. I'm sorry. I'm not going to say it right now. If you want to know it, I'll tell you later. has <laughs> it's nothing. It's, uh. See? See? <laughs> You have to be careful. (laughs) I love it, though. It's not a bad movie. It's just a really stupid movie. Um, I challenge each and every one of you to think about what you think about. I mean, situations are hard. Trust me, I get it. It's it's, in every day's a battle. Some days are easier than others. And I'm not trying to make it seem awful. It's not awful. I wouldn't, I I don't want to do anything else. I've lived the other way. I've lived in the middle. I've lived over here. I've lived over. There's nothing like, there's nothing like communing with God. There's nothing like it. So think about what you think about. That sounds goofy. It's like a, a book that I had to read in, uh, in when I was getting my bachelor's degree. It's how to read a book. I'm going to read a book to tell me how to read a book. Yeah, I didn't read that book. Full disclaimer, I didn't read the book. (laughs) But think about what you think about on a daily basis, moment by moment. And sometimes it's a violent action to take every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We have to forcefully make it obedient. And I tell you what, if you drove by me in the car sometime, you would think, I'm sure some people think I'm crazy. Because sometimes I'm downright yelling. Because, whew, the enemy knows every, every pressure point in my life. But here's the, here's the wonderful thing, is that God's design is that there wouldn't be any pressure points come on, yeah. is that you'd be so healed and delivered of all the junk that the enemy would have nothing to hold against you any longer. Yeah. Yeah. So it's time to get out of the cave. Yeah. Come on. And be a warrior. Now, don't go killing anybody. Okay, that's old covenant. Not good. Don't go killing anybody. Don't 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 be the the crazy woman that said the voices told me to kill my husband. Don't do that. But stand up, stand up and say, devil you you can't make me think any less of who i am cuz i'm his and he died for me he thought i was worthy of that hmm jesus I just see you touching areas of our lives and our hearts that need healing. Wounds that the enemy likes to rub salt in. And I claim healing over all of those wounds in Jesus' name. That we would no longer Align our thoughts with lies, but our reality would become your reality. That your voice would be the only voice we listen to. That we wouldn't hide, we wouldn't run. but we would be steadfast in your love. That our desire, first and foremost, would be intimacy with you, getting to know you, spending time with you. that we would just rest in your presence. We'd flow with you and not against you. Pour out your love on us, God. Reveal your heart to us and your glory. May it become our resting place. The place that we do life from. The place that we respond from. You're so good, Papa. Your love amazes me. Your gentle touch is like none other. So I say, have your way in our hearts and minds. Have your way, God. You know how you know us better than we know ourselves. Put your finger on those things that need to go. Would the altar, would your altar, God, be repaired in our hearts? I love you, Jesus. I thank you for what you're doing. And I'm anticipating of what you're going to do. (laughs) Your hands are not tied. And we proclaim your love over this land and over this city. In Jesus' name, amen.